got to be with uh, three of my grandchildren as they had their four-year-old preschool graduation. And there was like, I don't know, 30 of them up there. And you cannot imagine the level of cuteness that was just piled up in one spot, kind of like this here. So it was an amazing event. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. But we're going to have a short Bible study before we get to the sermon. But through the years, I will tell you the truth. I've just been ducking this whole front-end piece of this uh, gospel reading about what is Jesus talking about being glorified right now? What had he done to get glorified? What was worthy of saying to the disciples, the, fa the Father is glorifying me right now. So I did a little study, I did some work, and there are three things that happen right in front of this. First and foremost, the chapter begin, chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter 13 begins with Jesus getting up from the dining table and he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist and then he went and washed all of his disciples' feet. Now this is in a culture where they didn't even make slaves. People that were owned washed people's feet. They were considered to be so unclean, so filthy, that you shouldn't touch anyone else's feet. And here the rabbi, the teacher, their Lord and Master is washing their feet. It was, in fact, a lesson. He follows that very disturbing practice by an announcement that one of them will betray him. And the disciples all talk amongst themselves, will it be me? And finally, he turns to Judas and says, go and do what you are supposed to do. And Judas gets up from the table and leaves the room as we hear at the beginning of this text. And now Jesus says, that work is done. And the heavenly Father, my Father, is glorifying me because I have fulfilled everything that is needed. He had set in motion all the things that were gonna bring about his death. And in the John's gospel, as he dies, Jesus says, what? It is completed, it is done. My work is done. But the Father's work was not done because three days later, of course, Jesus is lifted up, raised from the dead, and glorified in that way. So that was the Bible study. But we get to a new commandment. And truly, truly, I wish Jesus had given us a different one. I wish Jesus had said to his disciples, Make sure that you find something to fight about that will divide the community so that there will be people inside and outside and that you will be able to judge whether or not they are deserving of being in the community or out of the community. Now, if Jesus had said that, I would have been delighted because we're really good at fulfilling that commandment. We've been doing it since the very beginning. You heard it in the book from Acts, or the letter from Acts. What's the first fight? Whether or not you have to be circumcised to join the church. Can you imagine a new member class? Yikes. First of all, just the whole checking process, that would be bothersome. And then the whole announcement, sorry, but you know, you gotta get circumcised to join the church. Holy mackerel. 
So from where we sit, of course, it's just laughable, right? It was funny. But imagine doing that for 1,200 years as a community of faith. Circumcision had been the mark of the faith for men for 1,200 years at least. And so people are not becoming Christian yet. They're just joining this Jewish group. So it made perfectly good sense that you would baptize, which Jews had been doing as well, but you would also circumcise. And just the whole process of thinking about it and does this make sense and is this what's called for and is this what's needed? It was conflicted. The very first church convention, somewhere around 14 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, centered on this very topic. It was a hot topic. And it doesn't get resolved even then. We've found all kinds of reasons down through the centuries to fight with one another, of trying to figure out who's in and who's out. We like that. We like feeling superior. I know I do. And it's just lovely looking at all, all of you people out here, your bright, shiny faces, and saying, I don't think you're measuring up. Kind of makes my brain happy. I mean, I remember being a young boy and getting ready for the 1960 merger. And in many ways, it was a merger between the Norwegians and the Germans. And that's my family. I'm half of one and half of the other. And I remember my Norwegian uncles worrying like no other that those Germans were going to come in and we were going to start having beer for Holy Communion. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, again, it's funny. Didn't happen. But we have continuously, from the very beginning, found reasons of wanting in and out. But that's not the commandment. The commandment, Jesus says, is love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. He had fulfilled the Father's will. He had poured himself. He had fulfilled the Father's will and gave himself. So what would it mean for you and I to do that? What does it mean to love someone the way Jesus loves us? The finest example that I know of is the road to Emmaus. Here's two men that are disgruntled. They've given up. They've seen and heard about the risen Christ. And their response to all of that is they're going home. They're quitting. And Jesus begins to walk with them. And they have a Bible study, and they have conversation. And then they begin to share a meal. And those two were loved by Jesus. They were loved by him. And how do they describe it? Was our heart not burning? And they left different people. They were not the same men who were coming down despondent down the hill. This encounter changes their life, changes them. I think what it means for Jesus to love us and invite us to love one another like he has done so with us, it's not a warm emotion, it's not a feeling, it's a decision about how I will walk with you and how you will walk with me. It's a decision about how we will treat one another and that through my encounters with you, my hope and my prayer with everyone that I meet 
is that my actions and words and how I treat you will exhibit this commandment. Do I get it right? Rarely. Rarely. But the best part of this is that there is mercy and that Christ continues to love us deeply and widely every day. As I served as bishop for 12 years, my favorite part, my favorite part of that service was getting to view the church from a different elevation. Not, not a better one, just a different one. Because I got to see how when we live out this commandment, which does not save us, but it certainly does guide us. When I saw this commandment being lived out and got to participate in it in ways that were life-giving like no other, it was an amazing experience. My absolute favorite one that I worked with, starting in 2013, there were people from Cameroon, Norway, Germany, Canada, South Dakota, Chicago, Minneapolis, Duluth, farmers from Corsica, we had a couple of meetings. We had a very high-functioning doctor couple that served as the head of staff at the hospital at Magunga, or excuse me, Garbalai. And they had invited us to come and make their hospital bigger. And, to, and it took literally thousands of people to get this done. And we took a 30-bed hospital and made it a 100-bed. We took a closet that had been the birthing room for women and we built three birthing suites so that women could actually lay down. It was an amazing little gift. The lab went triple the size that it had been. It had its own independent water system and had a generator from Sweden. And they invited me in 2015 to come with a group of nurses and farmers to come and help dedicate that place, which I was delighted to do. Well, one of my best friends in Cameroon was the dean of the seminary, and as we arrived, he greeted us and invited us into his home, and he announced that his older sister, who I had never met, was going to be installed as the first female Christian mayor in Cameroon, in Garbalai. And she had changed the date because, well, because she wanted me to be there. So I'm invited to be a part of her installation, and this good Christian woman is, seats me right next to the Muslim king. Now, the, I will tell you that Muslim kings travel with bodyguards, and they were cute, just saying. They were garbed like no other, and they had big, giant swords, those two guys. And so the eight-year-old David showed up and went, I could, I could use one of you guys, that's good. So there we were seated for the four-hour installation. There was all kinds of dancing and singing, and, well, it was an amazing piece. So we got that woman installed as the first female Christian mayor. But now this is where the story starts to have some traction. While we were there, violence was beginning to break out in their neighboring country of Central African Republic. And refugees had already started to come over the border and within 60 days after our departure, a quarter of a million refugees showed up in this community of 50,000. So imagine, now imagine, that all the people that live here in Sioux Falls got up and walked to Aberdeen 
And they showed up malnourished, injured, wounded, hungry. And here was this very young mayor who set about taking care of people. And because we had a hospital that had been expanded, the UN could bring in a team of Doctors Without Borders and bring in additional medical staff and drop them into our facility because there was space for them. And they could set up clinics throughout the neighborhood that got built quite literally overnight as housing for 250,000 people was built in a short order. The gifts that we gave, the gifts that we gave brought life. And people, people were saved because of the work that we had done together. People didn't come to that place because they thought death might happen. They came there because life might happen, and it did. To be a part of something like that is amazing. I went back in 2017 for my last visit. The king that I had met earlier invited me to his palace, and we sat down for dinner. And here was the Muslim king. Thank you for how you loved our people. Thank you. When we get this commandment right, it is an amazing gift. It is so easy to fall into the Dave Zelmer commandment, to divide and break apart, to decide who's in or who's out. It's been around as long as Jesus' one's been around. But I can tell you right now that Christ's commandment is far more life-giving. So God's blessings, as you are loved by Jesus Christ, as you are cared for him, shown mercy by him, forgiven by him. God's blessings as you live out that commandment. In Jesus' name, amen.